Would you pray with me, please? Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask you to please be with us as we open your word. I pray you to be with me, Lord, to be with me as I speak your word, as we hear your word. My Father in heaven, my glorious Lord and King and Savior, I ask you, open our hearts that your word may come in. We give ourselves to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. If I may ask you this morning to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. And uh, I also invite you to be prepared to take notes as the Lord leads you. What is it that the Lord may be saying uh, to you this morning? What is it that the Lord may have put in my heart and in my mind? And what is it that the Spirit may be saying to you? This morning, we are going to begin an unfortunately short look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I say unfortunately short look because the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to his disciples and to those who came about him to hear him, actually we find in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. But as I looked ahead a little bit, I recognized that Ash Wednesday is kind of early this year. It's toward the end of February, February 26th. And when Ash Wednesday is kind of early, it makes the season of Epiphany a little shorter. And in making the season of Epiphany a little shorter, it causes us to look at the Sermon on the Mount rather very briefly. Actually, we're only going to look at chapter 5 of three chapters and a little bit of chapter 6. And when I look toward the end of the year, the season after Pentecost, I don't think we pick up the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So it saddens me a little bit, and I mean, I am the preacher, so I can do whatever I want, but I do want to, uh, to follow the lectionary and not miss other important things that are coming up. So it makes our look at the Sermon on the Mount rather short and brief. And so in that sense, uh, it is a little unfortunate, but you know, as I was preparing for this sermon, one of my thoughts was, as soon as we finish the catechism, and as soon as we finish the attributes of God, which is the classes that we're teaching now, I'm going to do a special class on the Sermon on the Mount. Because I, I think the Sermon on the Mount is the most amazing teaching of Jesus. 
And so I don't want this year to go by without us looking at the Sermon on the Mount in its totality and be able to answer questions and to enter deeper into the heart and the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ as he preaches this sermon. In fact, if you were to look at the whole Gospel of Matthew, the whole Gospel of Matthew is five major sermons of Jesus. That's how the whole book is put together. Five major sermons of Jesus, and in between sermons, then is what he did. Cleansing uh, the lepers, healing people, teaching different things. But the whole Gospel of Matthew is pretty much five major sermons. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a very, very important sermon that Jesus teaches. And so today or, or Friday, as I was preparing uh, for the sermon, I recognized that I was biting a whole lot more than I could chew in one Sunday morning sermon. And so I may rush a little bit through things, but more than anything, I want to give you the most honest introduction to the Sermon on the Mount that I can give you. Because what I want to do is I want to motivate you so much with this introduction that I want you to, in the next few weeks, I want you to take the Sermon on the Mount and make it a daily meditation in your heart. My homework to you after I preach this sermon is that you will, possibly even starting tomorrow, take small chunks of the Sermon on the Mount and start digesting it. I don't want you to read the three chapters in one sitting. You can do that only if you uh, are going to begin uh, again from the beginning. But I want you to take small chunks, digest it, bite it, let it enter you. Let your mind, your heart, your spirit be fed with what it is that Jesus wants us to know in the Sermon on the Mount. A commentator that I read many years ago said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said that the Sermon on the Mount is the best known part of the teachings of Jesus. The best known parts of the teaching of Jesus but at the same time, it is the least understood and the least obeyed. It is the best ethical teaching ever taught by anyone. I just want you to hear me clearly that the Sermon on the Mount is the best known part of the teachings of Jesus, but at the same time, it is the least understood and the least obey. Of all the eth eth ethical teachings that have been done by anyone, anytime, no one can match or surpass the ethical teachings of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most beautiful description of what it means to walk the Christian life. 
when I was a young man, I, I, I came to the Lord with all seriousness, probably at the age of 19, 20, 21. So I'm looking at about 1977, 1978, something like that. I had grown up always in church, but I gave my heart and my life and surrendered everything completely rationally to the Lord when I was about somewhere between 19 and 21, something like that. And I was so deeply moved by what the Lord had been doing in my life that I, I went to my priest, and uh, maybe because I was the oldest of the young people in the church, I asked him if he would allow me to mentor and to take on the young people of the church boys and girls that were younger than I, they kind of looked up to me in a way. And I, I wanted to begin to share with them what it is that the Lord was doing in my life. And my priest said, sure, go ahead. So I started gathering all these young people in our church, and I don't remember if it was after the service or during the service that I would pull them aside and start teaching them. I think it was after the service because we were in the service together. But of course, I was as green as green can be. All I knew is that something had happened to me and I had fallen in love with Jesus Christ. And I wanted all these young people to know and have at least in some way what I had in my heart. And so when he gave me the okay, one of the first things I did is I went to the bookstore. And there was a bookstore in Glendale that was called The Lighthouse. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it disappeared with the advent of Amazon like most Christian bookstores did. And I looked around as to what it is that I wanted to teach these young people. And I came across a book which I believe I still have in my house, in my library. It was a book on the Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Montgomery Boyce. And I began to, to read the book and prepare myself to teach these young men and women. And uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, one of the things he says almost at the very beginning in his introduction, he, he, he said these words. He said, show me a man, or a woman for that matter, show me a man who claims that he's living up to the standards of the Sermon on the Mount, and I will show you a man who has never read it, does not understand what it is teaching, or is lying. Show me a man, show me a, a Christian, show me anyone who claims to be living up to the standards of the Sermon on the Mount, and I will show you a man who has never read it, 
show you a man who has read it and not understood the teachings of Jesus or a person that is actually lying. Because the height to which the Sermon on the Mount takes us, or I may even say the depth to which the Sermon on the Mount takes us, is something that can shock us to our core. Our Christianity is challenged, corrected, altered, affected, strengthened by the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It is a powerful, powerful teaching of our Lord. Nowhere else in all of Jesus' teaching, in all of the Gospels, is he clearer about what he wants his disciples to be and to do. To be and to do than in the Sermon on the Mount. Nowhere else is he clearer. The Sermon on the Mount is the clearest indication of kingdom living. It's the clearest indication of what it means to live in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God living in you. The Sermon on the Mount is the clearest indication of what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. It answers the very, very important question which all of us should be asking ourselves. The Sermon on the Mount will ask and answer the question, how then shall I live? What does it mean to be a Christian? Once I turn to Jesus Christ and surrender my heart and my life to him, how then shall I live from that moment on? How then shall I live? Dr. Boyce in his book says, Truly we are near heaven here. Truly we are near heaven here. And he says, The sermon points us to the way to please our Heavenly Father. Now, with these words, you and I want to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, truly we are near heaven here. It teaches us how we can please our Heavenly Father. Not with outward things, but with the transformation of the inner person. The transformation of the inner person. The transformation of the heart and the spirit and the soul, which is really what our Lord is looking after. He's not looking for offerings and the killing of bulls and, and lambs and all the sacrifices the people make to please God. What he's looking for is that we be altered, affected, and changed from the inside out. And the Sermon on the Mount is such a sermon that when you read it with care and you allow it to come into your heart, it will transform you, challenge you, and correct you 
as to the areas in our lives that we need to check. It describes what a Christian man or a Christian woman or a Christian community looks like when it truly comes under the leadership and the rule and the teaching of God. Let me say this, because I've said it before, but I want to make sure that you understand it. If you ever want to check your Christianity, if you ever want to check the validity of your Christianity, if you ever want to see where you're at today to where you ought to be in Christ, if you ever want to check your Christianity, you must compare it to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. No place else could you evaluate your walk with Christ until you check it with the teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to check your Christianity, if you ever want to know how you are doing in your Christian walk, and you're honest about it, not by your own standards compared to somebody else, but compared to the standard of Jesus, you want to read the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to return to the straight and narrow way, because all of us, let me tell you, I've read the Sermon on the Mount more than I think any other part of the Bible because I just fell in love with it and I tried to read it every single year. And every time I read it, I recognize how I veered. Every time I read it, I recognize how I forget some things that should be clear in my mind and in the front of my mind. And how easy it is for us Christians to make excuses of our behavior and attitudes. And we veer to the left, we veer to the right, in this thing that we call the Christian walk. And I have to tell you that the Sermon on the Mount is not easy, and living it is hard, not by ourselves, but with the power of the Holy Spirit in us and the help of God and the Word, because the Word is what gives direction to our lives, we can truly live the kind of Christian life that our Father would be pleased with. If you ever want to consider the cost of discipleship, look at the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to see and know where Jesus wants to lead you, look at the Sermon on the Mount. It is the manual on Christian discipleship and the manual of what it really means to have Christian values. Not what the world says, not even what preachers say, including me. The Sermon on the Mount is what should bow us all down at the feet of Jesus and ask mercy from God our Father 
and help from the Holy Spirit that we may grow to the stature of who Christ is, which should be the journey all of us should be in. The Sermon on the Mount. It describes the sanctified life. It describes what a Holy Spirit-filled life looks like. Being Spirit-filled is not speaking in tongues or healing or any of those things. Those may be manifestations. But a truly Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, which is inside transformation, complete transformation, complete humility and surrender to the fact that without the Holy Spirit, we will never measure up to God's desire for us. The Sermon on the Mount Without the indwelling work of the, and the help of the Holy Spirit, the Sermon on the, on the Mount actually is an impossibility to live. It's an impossibility. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to be different from the culture around us. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're reading a sermon that is completely countercultural, completely separating you for the glory of God, because if you are not work, walking with Christ in truth, the world will seep into your life. And when the world seeps into your life, you no longer look like Christ. You look like some high, kind of a hybrid. Behaving like the world and claiming to be a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount will cure you of such an illness and such a disease. It will clarify clearly what it means to walk like Christ, to walk with Christ, and to walk filled with the Spirit of God. The Sermon on the Mount will separate the believer and make him a testimony to the world of real Christianity. They will then truly reflect the character of God. The contrary to that, is why Christians and the Christian church sometimes doesn't look any different from the world. And when we don't look any different from the world, we cannot tell the world how to behave or how to come to Christ. Because we ourselves, forgive me, I just want to shock you in a way, but we in a way become fakes. And what Jesus would call hypocrites that act one way, but in reality we are nothing but carcass. The Christian, the Sermon on the Mount, will challenge every single one of us to look at what true Christianity is about. And it will correct us, transform us, challenge us, humble us, 
and cause us to cry out for more of the Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount describes what a true Christian walk looks like. And when we start walking that way, the world will notice. Because it will be a countercultural way of life. And it will cost you. And you may even be persecuted. But it is true Christianity. I think it is Dr. Boyce that says the righteousness of Jesus or the righteousness that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount is an inner righteousness. Although it manifests itself outwardly and visibly in words, deeds, and relationships, yet it remains essentially a righteousness of the heart. A righteousness of the heart. The righteousness that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount is an inner righteousness. Not an appearance of righteousness, but an inner transformative, corrective, formative, true righteousness in Christ. That's kind of an introduction, and I don't have a lot of time to get into a bigger chunk today. But let me just say that the Sermon on the Mount begins with what is commonly called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. What does Beatitude mean? What does it mean to you, Beatitudes? Sometimes we throw that word around. But beatitude comes really from the fact that every one of the statements of Jesus begins with the words blessed. And beatitude has to do with a state of blessedness. With a state of blessedness. The actual Greek word that is used, that is translated in most Bibles as blessed, is the word makarios. And Makarios sometimes is translated in some Bibles as happy. But it's not a happiness that comes from external sources. It is a happiness that comes from God being in you and giving you a joy of knowing that you're walking with him and that you're looking like him more and more. And he fills you with a blessed life. It's that word Makarios. I remind you, this is to me important because I, I heard this and it's always stayed with me, that the Beatitudes are about being. They're not about doing. They're about being. They're about being transformed. And somebody said a long time ago that the Beatitudes are be-attitudes, not do-attitudes. They're not do attitudes, they are be attitudes. It's about being transformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes 
are a call by Jesus to become like him. You know, whenever I read the Sermon on the Mount, I always consider that it's talking about Jesus. Every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, I can look at Jesus and say, yes, that's how he is. That's what he does. This is representing Jesus. And if I'm a follower of Jesus and an imitator of Jesus, I need to live in accordance to the Sermon on the Mount. Every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, it is a, first of all, reference to how Jesus was, how Jesus worked, how Jesus behaved. Even when he teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, it is really not about him. It is him teaching us how to approach his Father the way he approaches his Father. So every part of the Sermon on the Mount it describes him first, and he challenged me to imitate him. The Sermon on the Mount is, first of all, a call by Jesus to become like him. They're about the character of the believer. The character of the believer. We throw that word around a lot. That word, character. This is something I found in some of my leadership books, but I've kind of put them into Christian thinking. Character is what determines actions. Character is what determines action. And action is what reflects your character. Think about that. Character is what determines your behavior. And your behavior is a reflection of what's in your character. Character is like the foundation of a house. It is below the surface. It's who you truly are, and then everything you do is a product of that character. Reputation. Actually, a Christian cannot rise above the limitations of his or her character. A Christian cannot rise above the limitations of his or her character. And reputation is what people think of you. Character is what God knows about you. Reputation is what people think of you, but character is what God knows about you, who you really, truly are. I can imagine Jesus in the area of Galilee going up a mountain, and people follow him everywhere, and some of the disciples had already begun to join him, and he sits possibly on a rock, or he sits on a high place, and everybody sits below him, and it says that he opened his mouth and began to teach him. And he begins to teach him with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
One of the things I want you to recognize is that after every blessedness declared by Jesus, there is a reward that comes with it. This is what happens when you live this life of blessedness. When you have come to the Lord, this is what Jesus promises will be your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean poor in spirit. It doesn't mean poor in spirit. It's poor of spirit. It's the contrary of the pride that seeps into our lives and we think we're better than another person. It is that pride that says, I deserve. It is that pride that is damaging to our walk with Christ. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, not poor of spirit. We ought to be rich in the spirit of God, but poor in the spirit of the world and poor in the spirit of humanity that is self-centered. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Notice that. Poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of God. You can't get richer than the kingdom of God. You cannot get richer than the kingdom of God. But you receive that kingdom and the riches and the heirs and all that comes with it when you are humble and submitted to the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Just imagine Jesus speaking these words to the people listening to him, like you are listening to me. Blessed are those who mourn, who suffer, who hurt for the evils of this world. It's not blessed, it's mourning. It's blessed those who have a heart that cries and breaks when we see what happens in the world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Your hunger and your thirst for true righteousness will be satisfied in the Lord. You hunger, thirst for it, the Lord will provide your satisfaction. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a promise. Blessed are those who seek after holy living. They will see their Father in heaven. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker is totally different than what we see in the world. What we see in the world is division. What we see in the world is one standing over another. What we see in the world is families broken up. What we are seeing in the world today is a broken country that is divided more than ever. And I was sharing with a brother this morning, we were talking, and my biggest fear is not so much the division that we are seeing in the country today politically. My biggest fear is that it will divide even the church into political parties. That brothers and sisters in Christ will not be able to be in Christ with each other because we choose the world's way of politics. And instead of seeing each other as Christians, we'll see each other as Democrats and Republicans. And that is divisory. That is not peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who look for peace and bring peace and create peace and create unity rather than division, rather than the dividing gossips that happens. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be recognized and called sons and daughters of the true living God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus addresses them directly. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, blessed are you when you behave like Christ. When the character of Christ is visible in your life. When the world sees that you are a true follower of Jesus. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is for me? It's like a doctor with a scalpel that cuts through the crap of my life that cuts through the crud that has been accumulated around my heart, my self-thinking, my self-control, my self-everything that makes me different than you, better than you, higher than you, more powerful than you. It cuts through all, all that, and it makes me fall flat at the face, on my face before Jesus, asking for forgiveness for all the stupidity of a life controlled by the human spirit and the world's influence. The world's influence crowds in in our hearts. And the Sermon on the Mount just seems to cut right through it, and I recognize what I should actually be like. 
what I would actually look like when I walk with Christ. And he chops it off and it takes out and it circumcises my heart. The Sermon on the Mount does that. And my encouragement to you, as I said earlier, is that you would take the Sermon on the Mount and read it in chunks and just stop and think, what does this mean? What is Jesus telling me? How can I grow into the image of Christ that I may truly walk the way he wants me to walk and that I may end up looking like my Father who is in heaven? The Sermon on the Mount has that ability to, ability to cut through all the veneer of stuff, all the crud of life that just seeps in and he cuts through it and he makes me really look how my life should be and how it is not and how I need to be corrected and how I need to be changed and how I need to be humbled and how I need God because without God I have no hope no future, nothing. The Sermon of the Mount calls me to be like Christ. And it will require that I let go of things I need to let go of and change. And so this is kind of an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. I can't go through every aspect and every meaning of the Beatitudes. I want you to think about each Beatitude. How is it the character of Christ and how it should be your character and my character? Next week, we'll pick it up where we left here until we get to Ash Wednesday. I just pray that the Lord will be with you when and that he will use the Sermon on the Mount as he has used it on me. So my challenge, my homework for you, please, in the next two, three weeks before we get to Ash Wednesday, just take small chunks of the Sermon on the Mount, just think about it, meditate on it, and submit to the teaching of Jesus Christ our Lord to what we should be like and act like how shall then we live? Amen.